Namaste. Welcome to the Hindu Parenting Podcast. In today's episode, we address an integral part of the Hindu experience, the temple visit. For modern parents, it's important to pass on a sense of the sacred to the next generation. It is equally important that we get a big picture and learn about the stories that temples tell. Our main focus is on making the temple experience interesting and enriching for children. To help us understand and demystify the process, we have Sri Ramakrishna Kongala, a researcher on temples and the assistant professor at the Indian Institute of Tourism and Travel Management. Namaskaram Ramakrishna Garu. We're very much looking forward to learning about temples today. Namaskaram Andi. Namaskaram Rekha Garu Shalini Garu. So let's start with what is a temple? Is the word temple right? If not, what is the right word for a temple? Uh, the word temple is uh, not native to India. We have adopted it from the Western culture. Uh, the word temple uh, comes from Latin. And uh, we have we are very well aware of the concept of temple one, temple two, temple three. Uh, from uh, the Western uh, societies. But when it comes to India, uh, we have a different terminology for temple. And uh, instead of temple, using the Indian terminology like uh, Devalaya, Devalayam, Devasthanam, Devashila Griha, uh, Yakshasadam, Ruksha Chaitya, these are the different words that were used by uh, Indians in different periods of uh, different times. So, uh, instead of temple, the word Devalayam uh, is very close to what it means. Deva is the God and Alayam is uh, where he resides. Or uh, Devasthanam also. Deva is the God and Sthanam uh, is the place where he resides. Now, uh, if you look into the word literal uh, meaning and its origin, uh, we have its origin in uh, Rigveda. Wherein, uh, in uh, third mandala of uh, Rigveda, we have Agni Suktam. In that Agni Suktam, uh, there is a word Yakshasadam. Uh, in that Agni Suktam, the first line goes like Makasya Yakshasadam Idduro Gama Veshasya Praminato Mape. The beauty is here they say, O Agni, do not go to Yakshasadam, where violence is committed. In a sense, now they are referring to a place called Yakshasadam. We are all very much aware about the Yaksha. In olden days, the gods were referred to as Yakshas. And Sadam is obviously the place or home. So Yaksha Sadam, they are meaning that the place of God. And slowly the same Yaksha Sadam gets transformed into a word called as Agnidreya or Agnidra. This is the place or a shed where Agni is kept. And uh, this is very, very much mentioned in Shatapata Brahmana, uh, the third Brahmana of uh, Shatapata Brahmana. And then if you go ahead, uh, slowly by the time of Chanakya in uh, Ardha Shastra, the same Agnidriya or Agnidra becomes Agnisthanam. And Agnisthanam slowly converts into the word Devashilagriha or Devasthanam. So Yakshasadam. Agnidriya, Agnisthanam and slowly into Devasthanam. So Devalaya or Devasthanam are more close to Indian culture and Indian uh, representation, what they mean. And a temple is simply a place of prayer. 
it can be anywhere it can be constructed uh, anyhow uh, you do not have so much shastra and logic into it uh, so uh, is the word kshetra also correct because i am a malayali and coming from kerala uh, temples in kerala are called kshetras yes uh, not devalaya not devasthanam so is kshetra also correct a kshetra is a bigger word than the devasthanam or devalayam so it covers all the flora and fauna that is there in the region also it covers the lakes ponds mountains and the people ah. also okay kshetram yes. uh, all our temples are called kshetram క్షేత్ర this partly answers one question that we had you know for you later uh, is, uh, we were to ask you uh, is there yes. some procedure to determine where a temple should be located no so yes. how is the there, place there, decided so yeah, this is there, one there, part there, of there, the answer i suppose yes 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 uh, are there any other criteria for uh, uh, situating a temple yes ma'am there, there is lot of uh, in depth criteria for example since we have got into the discussion let me tell you like we have good shastras uh, talking about uh, how to uh, identify place for a temple so the first important thing we have to do is we have to identify a suitable ground and in indian shastras the ground based on the type of soil the ground is divided into four categories like uh, brahmana kshatriya vaishya and shudra so okay. the best soil which is very suitable uh, for establishing a temple which is very strong devoid of moisture that is called as brahmana and a very um, uh, uh, swampy ground with lot of moisture is called as uh, shudra so okay. the brahmana type of soil is selected and there at the temple is established and establishment of temple is also related to uh the village also for example let us say if we are establishing a shantamurti shantamurti mm-hmm. like vishnu so it mm-hmm. it should always be in the center of the village or looking okay. towards the village but if we are establishing a ugramurti ugramurti like narasimha swami or mm-hmm. uh, like chamundi then what we have to do is we have to establish temple out of the village and it should always look away from the village okay so and it's then again the direction of the temple also for example if it is uh, east or west north and south every god has got their own uh, specific direction but basically mm-hmm. it is accepted that uh, since uh, ancient times uh, when we are doing yagya or uh, when we are doing havan we always face east because east is the direction of sunrise or uh, uh, it is also said very clearly like taitariya samhita says east is the direction of the gods east is also the direction of uh, uh, devaraja indra and that is the reason okay. east is considered auspicious and uh, the temples generally uh, if they don't have any rule or any shastra they can directly face the east okay so which means the vigraha will face the east no uh, you will be yeah, doing the puja will... towards the west but the vigraha will be facing east right 
Yeah, the graha will be facing the east. Yes. Okay. Yeah, from, from what you said, um, I'm thinking there's another important point that not many people think about, but this difference is essential for us to know. Um, so a devalayam is the place where the devas or the gods reside. Whereas yes. in, in other religions, um, this word temple itself comes from the other, from the Western point of view. And so that is just a, like a prayer hall, isn't it? So that is the key difference. And that is yes. why terminology matters for us so that we yes. know. Yes, definitely. That is true. Temple is the important point. It means important point. For example, wherever you are st standing and you feel that uh, that is the place of God, that becomes important place and you can worship there. But then when it comes to us or Indian culture, a temple uh, is, uh, it do not stand alone uh, just with the concept of God. It, it is related to the cosmos, cosmology. It is related to the place. It is related to the village or welfare of the village. It is related to the natural resources available. It is related to the material available to construct the temple. It is related to the Kshetrapalas. All these, uh, all the things are looked into and a temple is established. So, um, you know, um, we go to them. I mean, I think from here onwards, we should start using the word Devalayam, you know, because we are saying yeah. uh, temple is not the right word for no, us. No, so, that is fine because, uh, see, we have terms like Hindu, we have terms like temple and they are much acceptable and whenever people listen to, they easily get connected. So the word like temple, Dravida, Hindu, etc., because they are widely accepted, even though they are in wrong connotation, we can use happily use them, not an issue. Okay, <laughs> but maybe we can always uh, enhance them by saying temple or Devalaya, you know, so that Devan, that also yes, starts exactly. gaining currency. And, uh, you know, slowly <laughs> we can move to using our terms for our uh, <laughs> our uh, heritage, basically. So uh, what I wanted to ask is that, you know, um, we go to temples quite often, you know, and uh, I think today most of us don't really understand or appreciate uh, why we are going, what we are doing there. You know, we we just do it as a sort of something that has been uh, told to us or carried down from generation to generation. We are unable to answer kids in a, you know, in a coherent manner if they ask some questions. Uh, so maybe we can, uh, you know, just describe uh, what essentially are the are the constituent uh, parts of a devalaya, you know, and and what do they represent basically? If you can elaborate a little bit on that, that'll be good, you know, to be good for all our listeners also and us, in fact. So yes, 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 ma'am. So uh, the first important thing we have to understand here is what is uh, the uh, real meaning of uh, the Devalayam or the temple. Now uh, we have to understand that concept. Then uh, later we will understand the components of the temple uh, or Devalayam uh, very clearly. So what does a Devalayam or Devasthanam means? Like I said, in olden days, uh, the word Agnisthanam was used to refer a Yajna or a place where Havan is done and over that a shed was constructed. And from the same concept the temple comes, in the sense a temple is a, a place or a, a shelter and there a god is kept. 
now here slowly uh, from yagya uh, let me uh, first of all uh, make uh, this point very clear we have to understand the concept of yagya or havan or the homam why is it very important because in due course of time earlier uh, yagya was performed by uh, most of the people in due course of time uh, uh, okay due to innovations and all that the practice of yagya has lost its relevance and today most of us 80 to 90% of us are not familiar with yagya or homam or havan and that is the reason we fail to appreciate the meaning of temple why because the temple is the direct representation or a direct interpretation of what actually yagya or havan is i will mm-hmm. uh, validate this point how it is for example when we built a temple or the shastras like brihat samhita they clearly say that the square base or the square platform for a temple or a garbhagriha is the best uh size or best shape to be constructed in the sense whenever you lay the foundation of a temple it is always laid on square uh, uh, this uh, structure and where does this, this square comes from this square comes from the yagya or havan in the sense the havan is constructed in the form of a square mm-hmm. now people will be why is yagya constructed in the form of a square because when you draw the square and if you are drawing a circle in the center of it that circle or round shape is earth and it is having four corners in the sense it is there in the shastras clearly mentioned that the earth earth is held at four points the four cardinal points so the four cardinal points make the earth into square and that is the reason the yagya is constructed in the form of a square and that too with the bricks at the made of the mud in the sense the soil is used there and never you you never use even though you are very rich you never use metal you never use gold silver stone only soil is used in the sense that yagya or yagyavedi is the representation of the earth and then in that when you are putting the fire the fire is the god or the uh, uh, what do you say the link uh, towards the god now these two concepts exactly replicate in the temple the temple the base of the temple is also in square uh, uh, form and over the square what you do is in the center of the square again there is a logic also this is called as vastu mandala so this square is exactly divided into 64 uh, squares and in the 64 squares the one that is there in the center is called as brahmasthana and in that brahmasthana what do you do is you establish the god or the mula virat and over this what do you do you construct a whole temple now okay. it must be very clear that the base of the temple and the yagya vedi both are same there is no difference in the sense the temple is the representation of the ancient tradition called as yagya vedi that is the first thing next important thing is now that, that is vedic uh, okay aspect now coming to upanishadic aspect now upanishads very clearly says that uh, we are all uh, like uh, pragnanam brahma in a sense consciousness is brahma and what is consciousness and uh, like we are atman like uh, how adi shankaracharya says like uh, we are made of atman atman is the god atman is the parabrahma so everything so uh, once this yagyavedi becomes the base for the temple and temple is constructed later rest many elements like different murtis are constructed around the temple periphery of the temple a mandapa is constructed a shikara is constructed all these are constructed now what are all these elements of the temple these elements basically 
says there is a verse in uh, sanskrit which says deho devalayam deho devalayam says the body itself is the temple now here like upashadik concept or advaita concept wherein it says like body is the temple and the soul atman that is there in this body is the god who is there inside the temple now the temple is exactly representation of human body and you may be how you may be asking ki how is it exactly the representation of human body it is representation of the human body because all the elements or components that are there in the temple are named after human body only i will give you the best example uh the base of the temple just above the base uh, the element the outer visible element is called as pada and above just pada you have janga janga in the sense in sanskrit we call it as thais and Thai. above thais uh, you have kati kati in the sense uh, the waste part and above waste then you have uh, skanda and then above skanda skanda in the sense shoulders and above shoulders you have griva the neck part and above the neck then you have amalaka which is the head portion and above the amalaka then you have a kumba or a kalasha which is the tuft the hair tuft or shika of the human in this look at the terminology that has used pada janga kati skanda uh, griva shika amalaka so all such words are used and they are verily the names of the human body parts so this is the physical representation of the body that who is the soul the atma the atma is the god who is established in the garbhagriha so the temple is the concept that directly arises from the vedic yagya and then uh, the atman a concept of upanishad so it is both the vedic concept also and upanishadic concept also but because we have lost the tradition of understanding uh, or uh, doing the yagya havan or homam etc now we do not have that uh, understanding clear understanding we look at temple as just as simply the place of god and nothing else uh, but i was also thinking you know uh, maybe going back to uh the history lessons that we learned in school we were yeah. also uh, taught you know the, when when we said the constituent parts of a temple there would be gopuram then there would be uh, what was the next thing i think the vimanam ha vimanam and then the the dancing hall that that part and then lastly yeah. the garbhagriha so yes. <laughs> that that is that is our uh, you know knowledge of the constituent that, parts of a temple basically that you see in the book is uh, true ma'am there is no problem in it the problem is yeah, yeah. like we are talking about temple in advanced manner without understanding the basic elements basic yeah. concept of what the temple is yeah like uh, in south in south india uh, in southern part of india if you look at the temples uh, temples uh, they have uh, a compound which is called as prakaram and uh, the prakaram will be having uh, uh, the entrances from the four sides entrances from the three sides two side or one side but the yeah. official entrances to that prakaram are called as gopurams and once you enter you have to enter into the temple you enter uh, through the gopuram and inside the gopuram uh, once you get into the temple prakaram you now you have a lot of elements as soon as you cross the gopuram you may find balipitam immediately after balipitam you will find dwajastambham after dwajastambham you find a mukhamandapam 
or you have find a vahana mandapam after vahana mandapam you have, you find maha mandapam or ranga mandapam and then after that you will find garbhagriha so this is the order of the elements in south india so roughly more or same these are the same elements that are there in north india also but the difference between north indian temple and south indian south indian temple is north indian temple in the sense nagara temple and south indian temple is a dravida temple and uh, we should not have any uh, problem for using the word dravida here why because we have a shastra Kam- kamikagama so kamikagama uh very frequently in many places they it uses the word called as dravida so mm-hmm. it is not a, a racial term that we are using here so dravida temples have got these elements that i have said whereas the north indian or nagara temples uh and not just north indian the nagara temples are there towards the east towards the west also and towards the north and central india so except the south dravidian temples rest rest of the whole of india they have nagara temples and kamikagama though it is a south indian text it is very 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 categorically it says that nagara temples are the best form of temples but that doesn't mean that dravida are not maybe because the nagara temples are widely spread across the country even in south india they are available for example if you go to karnataka uh mm-hmm. there are this uh, nagara temples north indian style of temple constructed which are called as rekha nagara temples for example if you go to uh, patadakal a uh, unesco world heritage site in patadakal you also find a north indian temple style nagara temples and also dravida style of temples so uh, this is so in north indian temples what is the difference is we will not find gopuram the official entrances to the temples and the shikara which is uh, uh, the terminology for a temple tower in the north india is called as vimanam in the south india and maybe because of due to invasions because we have enough evidence of having uh, the dwajastambhas even in the northern t- temples also nagara temples also but what has happened is in due course of time maybe because of invasions they do not wanted to highlight that there uh, there existed temple here so to avoid the invasions these people have stopped the practice of using dwajastamba so we do not find dwajastamba balipita uh, and vahana mandapa in the north indian temples we have vahana mandapas no doubt but not as prominently as uh, they are constructed in the south indian or dravida temples yeah when you say vahana mandapa that is that is yes. for housing the vahanam of the deity is it deity yes for example uh, if it is a shiva we have uh, nandi mandapa nandi. Huh. and if it is uh, vishnu we have garuda mandapa okay. uh, and then uh, there is also science behind these mandapas also for example if it is uh, nandi mandapa nandi mandapa is always open it is not closed from uh, uh, three sides but if it is uh, garuda mandapa garuda mandapa is always open for uh, closed from all the sides and what does it say uh, look at the logic that that our ancestors have kept in mind a bull is a bull which keeps moving a lot so keeping the psychology or morphology of uh, the bull they have always kept the vahana mandapa open from all the sides the nandi mandapa but whereas garuda mandapa garuda is a bird which always restricts itself to a very small nest so they covers the garuda mandapa from all the sides except the entrance so uh, these uh, this much in detail our ancestors have thought about uh, while constructing a temple you mentioned the dwajastambham uh, so what is the purpose of uh, having a dwajastambham in a temple 
Dwajasthamam. We have a beautiful story related, related to it. I'll just very quickly run through the story. Uh, uh, in uh, Mahabharata, in Ashwamira Parva, we have a story of a great king called as Mayuradvaja. So how does that story go? The story goes like this. After the Mahabharata war, now it is time for uh, uh, Yudhishthar or the Pandavas to do Ashwamira Yaga. Now, uh, by this time after the war, Yudhishthar will have a lot of uh, ego and attitude that I have won the war. Now I, I am the Chakravartin of the world. Uh, so I can control uh, as much as the world I can uh, do. But then uh, Sri Krishna watching all this, he will think that I should teach uh, Yudhishthar a lesson. So let me plan it. So once Ashwamedha Yaga starts and they will be leaving, uh, leaving the Ashwamedha uh, Ashwa and all the Pandavas will be going uh, along with the Ashwa, taking it uh, for uh, the Yagam. And then uh, once uh, they reach uh, this uh, Manipur kingdom, okay, the Manipura kingdom was the name of the Mayurudvaja's kingdom. So Mayurudvaja, basically, the king, he was already a devotee of Krishna. And Krishna wanted to teach a lesson to Yudhishthir through uh, Mayurudvaja, the king. Now, once the uh, Ashwamedha, okay, Ashwa or Yaga Ashwa has reached the Manipura kingdom, so Mayurudvaja do not wanted to accept the suzerainty of uh, Yudhishthir. He wanted to fight. Why? Because it is not the quality, uh, the gun of uh, a Kshatriya to just give up like that. He wanted to fight and then he wanted to lose or he wanted to, but he wanted to try it. Mm -hmm. So uh, when May Mayuradvaja gets hold of uh, the Ashwa, so he has to fight with uh, Pandavas. He had a great son also whose name was Tamradvaja. So Mayuradvaja and Tamradvaja, they fight and defeat all the Pandavas and they will get hold of everybody. The, now the news reaches uh, Yudhishthir and everybody is defeated. Now what to do? The Yudhishthir will say, I will go. The Krishna says, yes, we will go, but we will do one thing. We will just uh, um, okay, uh, change our uh, attire. We will disguise ourselves and we will reach and we will just talk to Mayuradvaja. So Krishna and Yudhishthir, they will come in disguise to Mayuradvaja. As soon as Mayuradvaja sees them as Brahmanas, uh, he wanted to uh, do upacharas, like uh, show the upacharas, like we do, 16 upacharas. But then the Brahmana says, uh, like before doing the upacharas, we have a problem. While we were coming to your kingdom, we had to go through a forest. And in the forest, one of our kid is caught by a lion. So we want to get our uh, kid free from the lion. But the condition is, we have to offer the meat equal to the boy. And then only we can get Sin, the Mayuradvaja said, the, what can I do? I'll, I'll give you the meat. The Krishna says, it has to be only your meat. The Mayuradvaja accepts and says, okay, fine. Uh, I'll give my meat. The Krishna says, again, another condition. You were you has to be cut into two pieces only by your wife and children. Mayuradvaja says, yes, why not? So the wife and children, they cut Mayuradvaja into two pieces. And uh, they will uh, try to give uh, the meat to the Krishna. Now, uh, Yudhishthir notices something like Mayurudvaja's the left part that is left, uh, okay, the tears. There will be tears in the eyes of the left part. Yudhishthir says, you are not happy giving uh, the donation. We will not accept this because uh, uh, it has to be given uh, with a lot of, uh, okay, uh, heart's content. Mayurudvaja says, uh, it's not that I am uh, sad for uh, giving my body. It is that you have taken half part and you will give it to the lion and you will save the boy. But what about my rest half? It is useless. It is of not any use. 
so yudhishthir uh, gets stunned by the answer see he is not worried about his death but he is worried about uh, the rest of half of his body of uh, which is going of no use and then uh, yudhishthir understands the trick or the message that krishna wanted to give and here at this point yudhishthir uh, loses all his ego attitude and he will become very humble and krishna turns toward mayurudhvaja and he says mayurudhvaja you have done a great act and from now onwards whichever god is worshiped they will first worship to you and then to the god in a sense mayurudhvaja in the name of you there will be always a pillar in the temple and they will come to you like yudhishthir has forgone his ego and attitude the same way when people come to you at your place they will remember you and they will forget all their ego attitude and they will come or they will get into the temple for worshiping the god then only their prayers are answered so mayuradhvaja is has become the dwajastamba in the temple and dwajastamba is a place where we have to keep all our ego aside and get into the temple so this is a beautiful story from ashwamedha parva of mahabharata Wow, absolutely so, beautiful. I I never knew. Uh, I never knew. I don't think we knew yeah. this. It's amazing story. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Uh, it's so beautiful story. Because and uh, simply, uh, whenever we get into the temple or get to the temple, uh, like uh, because Mayur, uh, the beauty is our ancestors. They wanted us to uh, idolize the great kings like Mayuradhaja. and they have added an element to the temple uh, in the name of mayuradhvaja so whenever you look at that dwajastamba we have to remember the greatness of mayuradhvaja and behave like mayuradhvaja yeah so so directly or indirectly this is like uh, uh, bringing a, a kind of uh, uh, what do you say a culture a tradition or a right dharma in, in, instead of all these words we can use bringing proper dharma into the society they have done all this So Ramakrishna Garu, uh, this was a beautiful exposition on the reason for having uh, Dwajastambam in all our temples. Uh, that brings me to um, a, a question asked by a listener. She is a sixteen-year-old girl who is very interested in knowing about temples, and um, she has mentioned something very similar uh, in the sense that uh, she says that she would like to understand, get some take. tips and tricks to understand at least a little of the meanings carved on the walls of our great temples and um, i think this was a great beginning because it brought us to stories that temples tell uh, the very fact that you, when you enter the dwajastambam is a reminder for us to surrender the ego there and then enter the temple so this is so symbolic and it is part of the stories that temples tell so um i think in some way it already starts to answer her question uh, but let's also talk about the meanings of the temple carvings we notice a lot of carvings on the temple um yeah. so how do we understand that yes so uh Uh, first of all uh, let me put it in a different uh, perspective the temple has got uh, or a temple study can be uh, divided into two aspects the first aspect is the physical structure of a temple uh, which is like uh, we call in general english terminology as uh, architecture or in indian terminology we call it as uh, sthapatya 
Shastra. We have a separate uh, in detail Shastra about uh, the architecture or construction of the temples. And then the second part is uh, the sculpture of the temple. So in architecture, we only talk, talk about the geometry, the shape, the size, etc., but not about uh, the sculpture. The second element is a sculpture. So 50% uh, is architecture and 50% is a sculpture. So the architecture part is little easy. Like I said, uh, in Dravidian temple or Nagara temple, we have Amalaka, Shikara, Vimanam, Gopuram, etc. These are the terminologies that we come across. And then they have, again, they also have their own explanation and uh, interpretation, no doubt. But then the important main part is like uh, the sculpture of the temple. Because where does it become difficult for a person is the sculpture. Why? Because uh, you have different, different sculptures. The exterior of the temple has different sculpture. The interior of the temple has different sculpture. The uh, circumambulation or the Pradakshina Pada of the temple has got a different sculpture. The door frame has got different sculpture. The Shikara on the top, there is different sculpture or the Murtis. On the Gopuram, there are different uh, sculptures. So uh, from place to place, not less than at least, uh, generally when we talk about not less than uh, okay, 300, 400, 500 different sculptures on a simple temple are visible. So this becomes complex uh, to the people. Now, how do we uh, like uh, study or how do we make the things very usable? Uh, I'll try to explain. So when I started a temple study, uh, I started with English uh, books. There are uh, people, uh, very good writers like Percy Brown, James Ferguson. So all these people, they have done good job on Indian, uh, uh, especially the architecture covering Buddhist architecture, Jain architecture, uh, Hindu architecture, Islamic uh, colonial architecture, etc. But then what I found the problem there was, uh, there were uh, all English terminologies. And then in here and there, they use Indian terminologies. Then I got a question, there must be uh, terminologies for every element these people are talking about in Indian uh, sense. So what is their meaning? And uh, what do they mean? So I started looking for the text. And through their own textbooks, I started getting references to Indian texts. So the first book that I read was Brihat Samhita. Then I read uh, another textbook, uh, uh, which is called as Manasara Shilpa Shastra. From South India, especially from Kerala region, we have a great textbook called as Maya Matham. And then there is a book called Ishana Gurudeva Paddhati, Kamikagama, Aparajita Prucha, Vishwakarma Prakasha. Shilpa Prakasha, Shilpa Ratna Kosha. So these are all beautiful books that they talk about the temples, elements of temples, how, which they, side they should face, which direction, to which God, how a temple has to be, how many doors have to be, what are the elements that are to be carved on the door of a temple. So, or, and how, uh, how many uh, floors or stories a temple has to be, how many stories a Gopuram has uh, to have. Because you must have observed, Gopuram will always have an odd number of stories in it. Either there will be 3, 5, 7, 9, 11 stories. Not the even number of stories. And even above the Gopuram, the number of Kalashas that are there, they are also uh, odd numbered. Like 3, 5, 7, 9, 11. So maximum 11, uh, uh, the number they reach. So all these has got some explanation in these texts. So I started reading them. But then I understood uh, the physicality of the temple, uh, that is the architecture and the terminologies and what do they mean. And then next comes to the sculpture. Now sculpture, uh, as soon as you enter the temple, uh, we have Balipitam and then Vahana Mandapam. Now uh, 
to understand vahana mandapa why there is nandi why there is garuda then we have to understand the nature of the god who inside uh, the uh, garbhagriha is now when you have to understand the garbhagriha the chief deity inside the garbhagriha then we have to know the family members of the chief deity why because in and around all the elements that are there the sculpture that is there is related to the chief deity or mura virat uh, who is inside the garbhagriha and then uh, all these temple for example if it is shiva then you find kartikeya ganesha uh, ambika uh, okay and then uh, uh, vishnu brahma and aditya surya will be there in every temple irrespective of to whom they belong and if it is a vishnu temple you find uh, uh, the temple for lakshmi then you find uh, also the small temple for uh, vishvaksena jaya vijaya so all these people uh, they will be so these are all called parivara devatas and they have their sculpture and uh, in different uh, places like uh, in the pradakshina patha you have got uh, all ashtadikpalas the eight uh, guardian deities of uh, the eight uh, directions and then uh, we have navagrahas at the in the door frame and then we have uh, uh, ekadasha rudras then we so all such kind of saptamatrikas are there so there are different different elements and all these are carved in the temple and sometimes the important aspect now comes here is other than all this navagrahas ashtadikpalas saptamatrikas dashavataras uh, and then the episodes related to the chief deity for example it is shiva temple you find lingodbhava murti outside the uh, walls of the garbhagriha if is a vishnu then you will find uh, uh, gajendra moksham uh, episode outside the temple uh, walls etc so episodes related to the god who is there in the temple along with that you will also find many episodes which are from ramayana and mahabharata also why to infuse dharma into the society to tell the people uh, and all these episodes that are there outside the temple they are like always the good uh, winning over the evil for example in gajendra moksham how okay the bhakti is winning and uh, for example if uh, uh, andakasurvada one of if you take shiva temple there is the killing of andakasura on the outer walls of shiva temples now the good winning over the evil so everywhere mahishasura mardini the good winning over the evil so in everywhere wherever you come across you will be seeing some rakshasa or some asura is being killed by the god so to tell or give confidence to the people look at one point of the time the evil has to be defeated by the goodness and such kind of sculpture so now coming to the final point how do you understand all these elements in a easy manner so either north india or south india east india west india there are two temples okay or three kinds of temples that you maximum see either it will be a shiva temple vishnu temple or the forms of shiva the forms of vishnu or shakti related temples so these are the three kinds of temples shakti related temples are mostly found towards the eastern part of the country otherwise shiva and shiva uh, vishnu temples are frequently visible and on the temple walls other than the shiva episodes and vishnu episodes you will be finding ramayana and mahabharata so the four textbooks that we have to read to understand the temples in a best manner one is shiva puranam the other one is vishnu puranam the third one is ramayana and the fourth one is mahabharata if if we can know the episodes from all these four texts shiva puranam vishnu puranam ramayana and mahabharata 
you can easily understand every temple in a most simplified manner and you don't need to worry what, who is related to what and what episode does it talk about so it is that easy so the four texts that i have stated we have to refer then it is very easy that's a great answer for uh, meghna um we and it also partly answers the question sent in by a 12 year old boy akul Uh, about why some of the figures on the outside look like demons and why do we depict them in our temples i guess uh, it's part of the story just to answer yeah. uh, him briefly see uh, the part of the story i'll say the demons that he is talking about is kirti mukhas so I for example uh, especially in south even in the north indian and south indian temples both the temples we have a lot of kirti mukhas like what are these kirti mukhas uh, like uh, in the south indian temples especially on the gopurams on the both side uh, of the the side uh, the sides of the gopuram you will find a very ferocious uh, a very a big toothed uh, a kind of uh, demon uh, shape or face because we do not know the name of that uh, element we call it as uh, a rakshasa we call it as a drishti we call it with a different mm-hmm. other names but the original name of that element is called as kirti mukha now what is this kirti mukha now people will be surprised because the listeners also will find it very fascinating and they will also realize today how wrongly they have been worshiping the gods in the temples till now so now what is the story behind this kirti mukha uh, in a very short manner i'll quickly run through the story so uh, there was this rakshasa called as jalandhara and jalandhara was very much fascinated by the beauty of uh, uh, the goddess uh, parvati and then uh, he says uh, like uh, because i am the powerful man i got uh, the boons from all the gods now nobody can kill me now i want parvati as my wife so rest of all his attendants they will say what are you talking about you are asking somebody uh, who is mother of this universe and who is also the wife of shiva mahadev and if he gets to know that you are thinking in such manner he will finish you in no time so he will say oh, not an issue i have the boon okay i have the blessings of brahma and i have the blessings of vishnu so nobody can do anything to me and i will go ahead so he goes and he stands before shiva and he asks for parvati so shiva gets very angry and out of his anger bones or emerges a ferocious lion and he advises lion to go and finish jalandhara but then by the time jalandhara understands that he is of no power before that ferocious lion he concedes and he says i am sorry i have realized my mistake and uh, she is my mother i am accepting as mother please accept me as your child so i will not do that so shiva forgives because he is a bola shankara so he forgives and he says okay that is fine it is accepted okay you can go happily not an issue but then the ferocious lion that is seeing all these episodes she asks shiva now you have created me for the purpose of eating jalandhara or killing jalandhara now what should i do shiva uh, very uh, in a light mo- uh, mood he says you eat yourself so the lion starts eating itself from right from the tail it keeps consuming itself and it consumes almost everything only the face is left immediately shiva realizes his mistake and said hey uh, look wait what have you done well you said i am you are my boss you have created me and you said to eat myself and i i have done it then shiva gets impressed by this uh, action he says i just said you in a very light uh, mood and you did it well you are the symbol of uh, loyalty you are the symbol of submission i just said and you did it well because only your face is left over 
on my order from now onwards this phase will be called as kirtimuka the phase of glory and i will also give you a boon and what is that boon like before anybody who worships any god they will worship you the kirtimuka and by worshiping you what do they understand they will realize that like what is the importance of loyalty and submission is in bhakti so whenever people the devotees come to the temple you will be placed on the door frames you will be placed on the entrances you will be placed on the uh, uh, periphery of the murtis on the top of the murtis you will be play, placed at the base of the temples everywhere in the temple in every location you will be placed and whenever a devotee is coming to the temple as soon as they look at you the face of glory the kirtimuka they'll remember the story of you how loyal submissive uh, you have been to my order so in bhakti loyalty and submission comes first this is uh, shiva says to kirtimuka and then uh, he goes away so he says without worshiping kirtimuka if anybody worships worships any god it means their their prayers are not answered why they are worshiping the god without a loyalty and submission and without an loyalty and submission there is no prayer that is what shiva says and now this kirtimuka wherever you go from now onwards maybe our listeners will realize and they will look at it that ferocious face from which something is going in inside its mouth or something is coming out of its mouth and they will see a kind of ferocious lion face that is called kirtimuka it will be seen everywhere in the temple it is because we do not know we have not paid attention but now i have said it okay the next time they are visiting the temple please pay attention to kirtimuka when you see it the first thing that you have to remember is the story of jalandhara and the story of that lion simha which shiva has created which is the symbol of loyalty and submission the, the kirtimuka is the symbol of loyalty and submission in the temple so we have to look at kirtimuka bring that loyalty and submission in us and then pray to the god then our prayers are complete so now you you all must have understood how wrongly we have been going to the temple and worshiping the gods all these days without uh, searching for a kirtimuka and bringing that loyalty and submission in ourselves before praying to the gods two lessons so one is uh, about uh, this kirtimuka and uh, second one is about the dwajasthambham you know it's such important lessons uh, <laughs> never knew really it's been uh, fascinating so it- is the kirtimuka different from the yali that's another question yes kirtimuka kirtimuka is always only the face okay when it okay. comes to yali yali is full structure you see a full body of the yali so kirtimuka for example uh, uh, let us say we have this periphery frame uh, for uh, uh, for example let us say venkateshwara swami so hmm. you have uh, this uh, i am forgetting that terminology there is a terminology for uh, the frame uh, which is there i always say so in that frame also in the center on the top you see a uh, lion face in the entrances also of the temple also yes, you yes. see a lion yes yes yes, yes. yes. Ah, okay okay yeah. okay that is the ah, kirtimuka ha ah, that, that it looks like a design but it is not a design ah. it is kirtimuka okay 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 it is Understood. often on the arch is that what you are talking about is an arch exactly it is often on the arch it is often on the uh, that uh, frame uh, the photo frame that ah. we are the golden frame that we have in the murtis correct okay yeah 
so that is what is kirti mukha and uh, it it has got a great role so uh, we do not talk about kirti mukha then uh, we are not talking about anything else in the temple because the first important element of bhakti is uh, loyalty and submission and that is uh, reminded to by us uh, to us by kirti mukha Okay. So basically, you're okay. saying the Kirti Mukha and the Yali are the same thing. The Yali is the full representation, whereas Kirti no, Mukha no, no, is no. only the no. No. Okay. Y- Yali is okay. different, and Kirti Mukha is different. Now coming so to Yali, they are Yali, not from the is... same same story. They are not even from the same story. Not even from the same story. Oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Uh, the Yali is a Vedic concept element. What is Yali? Now Yali is an imaginary animal, or b- basically people say mythological animal, and all that. But then it is the greatness of our ancestors and their art, how they have represented a concept in a beautiful manner. Now Yali, uh, first of all, let me tell you where all we can see the Yali. Especially in South India, you see Yalis on the uh, temple pillars. Hmm. that is the first and important element where you come across you go to any dravidian temple dravida temple you find yali even in the north indian temples also you find a yali but then the yalis of south indian temples are very huge humongous and magnificent so and they are very prominently visible now yeah. these yalis are made of four animals what are those four animals these yalis are made of they are made of aja gaja ashwa and simha i repeat they are made of aja gaja ashwa and simha four animals the combination of four animals in the sense they are made of ram the male sheep and then they are made of elephant and horse and lion so you will see a face a, a trunk of a elephant the face of a lion body of a lion and then the feet or something like a horse and then uh, okay the main looking like a lion so the four animals combination now you may be asking what are what is the speciality of these four animals these four animals represents the vedic concept what is that the four purushardhas the chatur purushardhas and what are the chatur purushardhas dharma ardha kama and moksha now yali is the representation of dharma ardha kama moksha how so the first is dharma and which animal represents the dharma aja or the male sheep represents aja and how aja is very blindfolded if it is when you must have seen when two rams are fighting the when two male uh, goat uh, sheep are fighting they are very blind they they keep fighting each other in a blind manner they do not see what is there before them they just just keep hitting so it means it gives an uh, yali gives information here the aja gives information here to us that blindfoldedly you have to follow dharma mm-hmm. and the second is gaja ardha so like the size of gaja you have to make wealth money mm-hmm. that solves most of your problems next comes kama kama is related to swiftness like ashwa and the last is the lion moksha in indian iconography whether it is jainism buddhism or hinduism the lion is always represented for moksha for example the nirvana of buddha the enlightenment of uh, the tirthankaras so lion has got a lot of uh, okay this iconographical representation or moksha related representation in the indian context so that is the lion so basically the yala is yali is represent 
or vyala sometimes it is also called vyala or yali is a representation of the purushardhas dharma ardha kama and moksha wherein the four animals uh, are seen or yali is a combination of four animals extraordinary <laughs> seriously you know i think yes. i will go to a temple the next time with a completely new perspective you know really yeah i i was also thinking the same that a temple uh, visit is never going to be the same again now yeah, you want to understand the purpose there is uh, yeah. so much going on there and uh, we just need to learn to be receptive to everything and then it is um, you know an absolutely life changing experience actually but but uh, but yeah I, <laughs> there's there's uh, there's more <laughs> yeah. what about the order of things we need to do in a temple uh, do we go to the garbhagriha directly um, i mean do we ring the bell when we come out do we do a pradakshina after um, you know paying uh, respects to the uh, deity in the garbhagriha what is the order of things that are typically done uh the order of the things that we do in temple uh, basically uh, like uh, there is no hard and fast rule first of all because uh, there are two ways of uh, doing it either from inside to outside you can do or from outside to inside you can do whichever way you do it is up to the uh, devotee how he does but then i always prefer uh, to do it from outside to inside outside to inside in the sense you start looking at the elements in the periphery of the temple slowly and then from uh, the parivara devatas you get into pradakshina the pradakshina devatas uh, and then uh, after pradakshina devatas you can look at the elements uh, like uh, dvajastamba uh, you can look at the elements like balipitam uh, you can look at the elements that are there uh, in the mandapa the mandapa pillars and then you can uh, look at uh, the murtis which are there in mandapas like utsava murti uh, okay, a kind of bali murti wherein uh, uh, these are all chala murtis the mula virat the, who is there in the temple is called as achala murti he will not be moved he cannot be moved only the representation of the chief deity mula virat are present outside the uh, garbhagriha in the open uh, mandapas so they are all chala murtis so who will be taken for utsava who will be taken for snana who will be taken for uh, a kind of uh, different uh, upacharas so now why why do i say it has to be from outside to inside till the garbhagriha anyways we will not be entering the garbhagriha we will be standing outside the garbhagriha only the archaka will be doing all uh, the things for us uh, so uh, when we enter the temple uh, you take a round around the temple right starting right from the balipitam then coming uh, around and then touching the dvajastamba so you start slowly uh, developing that uh, bhakti inside you so you must have seen the temple or you must have seen especially the north indian temples they are in the form of a mountain the mukhamandapa is a small the mandapa is a little bigger and then a little much bigger and then the uh, shikara will be in a very uh, high uh, the top position or uh, at the zenith in a sense when you enter the temple the bhakti in you may be less but then as you go nearer and nearer to the garbhagriha the level of bhakti inside you should increase and how does that happen when we go from outside to inside so uh, going around the temple okay looking at the elements okay understanding the uh, episodes and the outside of uh, outside of the walls of the garbhagriha like i said andakasura vadamurti 
So looking at him, we will understand how Shiva has killed Andakasura and how good is winning over the evil. So you have a kind of uh, uh, affirmation that yes, fine. So whatever may be the condition, whatever may be the situation of mine, once I enter into the temple, yes, I am very sure that uh, good will happen always with me. And developing that, slowly you go towards the Garbhagraha. So when you go to the Garbhagraha, there are two important activities uh, that we come across. One is uh, uh, the Gantharavam. Gantharavam in the sense ringing the bell. The other one is Arati. The word Arati comes from Aratrika. So uh, first of all, uh, let us look at uh, Gantharavam. So when we are... Uh, uh, there uh, in the temple and this tradition again see when we are standing near Garbhagraha it like, it's like you are standing near the Yajna Vedi or uh, the Homam so ringing the bell is like invoking the gods or uh, uh, Avahana of the gods for example we have this uh, uh, Ganapati Atarva Shirsha mantra wherein we say Om Ganana Amtva Ganapati Kumbhava Mahe Kavim Kavina so when you are reading the Ganapati Atarva Shirsha like you are uh, doing the avahana of the gods same way when you are ringing the bell so the, the bell may be of uh, Panchadatu, Saptadatu, Ashtadatu whatever but the important thing is the act of ringing the bell so when you are ringing the bell what are we doing is we are uh, invoking the gods. That is why we read the mantra uh, while ringing the bell. We say Agamardhantu Devanam, Agamardhantu Devanam in the sense uh, we are inviting the gods. Gamanardhantu Rakshasam. We uh, are uh, sending away the Rakshasas. And then what is Gantaravam Karomi Adhav. In the sense, I am doing the Gantaravam, the first thing. The first thing, Adam means the first important thing I am doing is Gantaravam. Why? So, Devatahavana Lakshana. So, when you are doing the Gantaravam, it is like you are invoking the gods or you are inviting the gods, driving away all the negative forces. We have a lot of logic and science people talking about saying that the bell has got is a Saptadhatu. When it rings, it reverberates for seven seconds. It activates chakras, all that. Because we do not know and we have not gone into so much detail of science and all. We need not worry about science. But the basic thing is, like when you are doing yajna or yajna vedi or homam, you are invoking the gods by reading the mantras. Same way, when you are ringing the bell, it is directly or indirectly equal to reading the mantras and invoking the gods. And then after the gantharavam is done, so you go near the garbhagriha and there the archaka takes our name etc. and he will confirm our uh, uh, place or existence in the universe. He will uh, uh, take, uh, take our name, uh, then he will be uh, reading about where we are located, in which uh, okay, Titi we have gone to the temple, and what is our uh, Gotra, etc. And then he gets into the Garbhagraha, and there he lights the Agni. So when he is lighting the Agni, what is he doing is, in that dark space, when the light is lit, now you will be seeing the Creator the creator of the universe. So when the light is lit, th that is the reason the Indian Garbhagraha, the temple or the Devalayas, they are dark. They are not profusely lit. Why they are dark? Because to make us understand that is how the universe was in the beginning, all dark. And then Aratrika, the, it comes from, Arati comes from the word Aratrika. Aratrika, Ratri. It says now when you are lighting the Agni, the darkness that is there is gone 
and the creator is being shown to us that he is the one who has created and how did he create that is how from the dark he has emerged into the light he has thrown away all the darkness and he has created this universe with abundant light so the two important act, acts or activities that we have to do in the temple are the gantaravam and aratrika very important you are not doing this then you are not uh, uh, understanding you are not invoking the god avahana and then you are not understanding the creator of the universe who is there in the garbhagriha these two are important and after that what you do is once you uh, take prasadam okay or uh, you take uh, receive panchamritam or uh, okay during the puja process uh, of doing all the upacharas 16 upacharas or shodha shodha shopacharas you do achamanam etc everything you do and you come back and then you are always requested to sit somewhere uh, in the temple or uh, you do pradakshina and then you come and sit so while doing pradakshina also you have mantras so you yani kani cha papani sarvani okay kutani cha tani sarvani vinashanti pradakshinam padipatene so wherein you say as i take uh, pradakshina again and again and again and again what happens is all the sins that i have accumulated over the years so all of them let them be washed so how do they get washed is because whenever you are going in the pradakshina patha and whenever you are seeing the pradakshina devatas or the devatas that are there outside the temple so you go on touching them so uh, it is called a nyasa touch so you keep touching them and you keep feeling feeling them so when you are touching and feeling them you are really understanding uh, what do they stand for and you will really get affirmation in your mind yes they are there to me and then you do either one pradakshina or three pradakshinas and five pradakshinas so the odd number always stays very important and relevant in a, a hindu temple and then later on you come you sit and then uh, so generally if your people are very old then they have this mantra to read when they are sitting in the temple anayasena maranam vina dainyena jeevitam dehante tava savijyam dehime parameshwara this uh, is from again mahabharata dronastuti so the drona uh, when he is on uh, the shayya he says to uh, uh, krishna says ki give me a very good death without without, without much suffering and all so all that so my uh, way of uh, saying the things is going slowly from outside balipitam then uh, dwajastambham then uh, vahana mandapam then mandapam then going around the temple okay all that and later in the last three things gantharavam aratrika pradakshina and then upashamanam so you will come and sit in the temple at a place and then uh, meditate and this sitting in the place because it is always advised by the people you should whenever you are going to a temple you should always sit for at least 2 minutes why this is a upanishadi concept what is that upanishadi concept uh, for example uh, it is very clearly said even the isha upanishad uh, says like uh, uh, i am the representation ఆత్మనిటూడ్ so when you are sitting in the temple for 5 minutes you are spending in solitude the time with your own atman 
this is a very uh, verily the upanishadic or advaitic concept that is uh, okay propagated and said much and much again and again by uh, jagadguru adi shankaracharya so he says so this is the way we can uh, okay complete a temple uh, visit beautiful i like the part where you said um, the last uh, part where, where you sit down it's uh, a very introspective process and uh, yes. that is that is the beginning of uh, uh, i think you know deep thought Trans- transformation that is the beginning of human transformation transformation yes <laughs> so that the last thing that i'd like to get in uh, for today's episode is if uh, ramakrishna garu has any message for the parents and children listening today yeah so the message i have uh, is or generally basically i also do myself like uh, wherever you are in whichever city you are especially if you are in india uh, please google uh, get into internet and google uh, the ancient temples which are at least 1000 years old nearby you and if they are in the radius of some 50 100 kilometers make sure that every saturday or sunday uh, at least once in a month or uh, maybe uh, once in uh, a trimester uh, you please uh, do go visit uh, click the photographs with your kids come back home open those photographs and look at them and try to understand the elements that are there in the temple because this the temples are built for a reason in the society they are the upkeepers of dharma when a temple is there one temple surviving temple can keep up dharma in that whole region so if you are going to that temple and you are uh, uh, liking that temple you have documented the temple please share about that temple Uh, in the social media talk about it plentifully so that your near and dear uh, ones start keep asking you questions about the temple that you have visited and especially whenever uh, you are visiting uh, uh, you uh, please take uh, your kids with you and uh, uh, try to explain some basic basic uh, concepts that we have discussed in this uh, podcast you need not be a great photographer you need not have a great knowledge about the temple the only one thing is you have to have that inquisitiveness to ask a, a question why for example if you are going to a temple there is a door frame there are a lot of elements in the door frame you just ask what are these elements what do they mean and then you will get the answer uh, so i think ramakrishna garu this this uh, podcast i am hoping should uh, you know raise a lot of questions in the minds of our listeners and uh, i i think we will have to come to you for a second round because there are, uh, there are a lot more questions that lots of people have regarding temples we are so uh, you know far removed from our uh, own culture and heritage and uh, our ways of uh, worshiping so uh, i think this will sort of plant the seed for a lot more questions to come in and so we will look forward to doing another episode with you and they, uh, there in fact i'm hoping that we will get a lot more listener questions uh, and we will attempt to collect all of them and uh, put them to you and uh, you know get answers to them this has been one fascinating conversation and uh, we wish to keep it going so thank you very much for your time uh, it has been an absolutely enlightening episode and uh, as i said before also i don't think a temple visit is going to be the same again you know going forward for us uh, so thank you so much and uh, thank you, thank uh, you we look <laughs> yeah we look forward to having you very soon back with us uh, thank you so much 
So we'll try to have some uh, pictures put up on our Substack uh, with labeling about the elements of a temple. Uh, and uh, and maybe um, those of you who are listening on um, you know other platforms like uh, Spotify um, can go to the Substack where we will put up uh, a few pictures so that uh, uh, the elements of a temple are uh, clearly visible and understood. So with that, uh, we request our listeners to subscribe to us at hinduparenting.substack.com. Uh, we are also present on all social media um, and everywhere we go with the handle Hindu Parenting. So please do follow us on various social media. And uh, all our podcasts are available on podcast platforms like Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcasts. So please catch us wherever you're comfortable uh, listening to podcasts. And, uh, and on YouTube. Yeah, and we are also present on YouTube. So uh, please do catch us wherever uh, it suits you. But for this particular episode, perhaps uh, we request that you also visit our Substack uh, uh, account because uh, we will be putting up this informative uh, pictures. So that might help you all to uh, you know, understand a little better what we discussed during this podcast. So until the next time, Namaste. Be well.